Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. It's about reestablishing a connection to ourselves and the land, kind of reconnecting to our ancestral roots in so many ways. I mean, it's a very tribal experience and very communal. Of course, everyone who's been to Fire in the Mountains, they feel like they've entered a different level of connection to one another. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. From its clandestine roots to environmentally focused multi-day music and lifestyle event, Fire in the Mountains has become an important festival in the heavy music calendar. Want to see Emma Ruth Rundle play on a grand piano with Grand Tetons as a background? This is where you'll have that opportunity. Founders Jeremy Walker and Alex Fair walk us through the event's roots, the centrality of environment and place that guides much of the decision-making, curation, and the importance of inclusion, attendees being participants, not customers. Let's dive and get heavy. Jeremy Walker, Alex Fair, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Lexi. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Let's sort of begin with uh, you guys introducing yourselves so that our listeners can get to know your voice a little bit and get to know you as people a little bit before we jump into uh, our discussion about Fire in the Mountains. We'll begin with you, uh, Jeremy. How did you sort of come into music and what is your sort of professional background? Well, to answer the first part, uh, I came into music just purely because I like music. I've been listening to heavy music since I was very young. It's really been the only form of music that has really touched my soul and speaks to me in a way. You know, with that said, I'm really just a a fan of music. I certainly don't play music. I wish I did. And I'm definitely, you know, not a, like a music engineer or anything like that. I just uh, got into the business of music just because it was more of a hobby. And I just wanted to bring music to me, um, almost like a selfish endeavor in a way. So that's how, how I got into uh, more or less being a, a music promoter, just by wanting to uh, see the bands that I love and the home that I love. And uh, so it kind of organically happened in that, in that way. Professionally, I'm a sommelier. So I work in the wine industry. I uh, buy wine for a lot of restaurants. And uh, I also own a company called uh, Taste of Place Travel, where I bring people on wine trips around the world. And then I also uh, manage um, a lot of restaurants. And um, also now I manage a uh, music venue in Jackson as well. Fantastic. And Alex, introduce uh, listeners to you uh, a little and also kind of how you met Jeremy. I met Jeremy a long time ago in college. It's actually a funny story. So we went to the University of Vermont. Both were environmental studies majors. And it was our environmental studies two class where you had to give a, it was like inter or no, maybe it was Jeremy. Well, it doesn't matter the name. Point is we had to give a, a talk about kind of ourselves and it was, it was meant to be a presentation opportunity for us to, to learn public speaking. And so I opened my time with a quote from Cliff Burton. And I said, you know, you don't burn out from going too fast in life. You burn out from going too slow and getting bored. 
And Jeremy just wrote on like everyone had to grade each other. So Jeremy wrote on his card, like, hell yeah, heavy fucking metal, like, you know, Metallica Cliff Burn, like, fuck yeah, like on this <laughs> card that we're supposed to be grading each other with. And I was like, all right, this dude's rad. He's clearly a metalhead. I, I wasn't nearly the metalhead I was or I am now at that time. Um, but of course, you know, like so many of us, Metallica was the impetus for all good things heavy metal. I believe I had an, a Blind Guardian shirt on too, and you love Blind Guardian. Yeah, you, you did. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, and that was one of the first bands that someone recommended I listen to because of my infatuation with Tolkien. And so, yeah, I got into Blind Guardian pretty early on too, and we geeked out about that. So 15 plus years later, we're heterosexual life mates, and we... Uh, <laughs> run a music festival together. I'm a farmer, uh, regenerative agriculture consultant, permaculture designer dude. And that's what I do during my time yeah, when I'm not throwing a heavy metal festival, which is 350 days out of the year. And it sounds like you both met on the East Coast in Vermont. And how did you find yourselves in Wyoming? I'll let you uh, run with this one, Alex. Yeah. Um, well, actually, Jeremy was the impetus for that too. After college, I did the real, I did the real world thing. What I was supposed to do, I, uh, I got a real job working in renewable energy. I moved to Philadelphia city and uh, had a real girlfriend and a real dog and a real condo and a real car and was really not happy. And so I uh, went to visit Jeremy one March when Jackson got epic snowfall and shredded around the mountains with him, partied our faces off and met a lot of really awesome people. I was like, you know what? I don't need skyscrapers. I need mountains. What am I thinking? I moved down to Philly for a girl anyway, who I'm still really close with and, and that's cool. But yeah, I moved out here and fell in love with the, the landscape and the community pretty immediately, thanks to, to Jeremy and, and his buddies, a lot of whom went to University of Vermont too, which was pretty cool. It was a, a good conglomerate of East Coaster transplants that are tired of skiing ice and uh, rocks. And so they come out to ski powder out West and Jackson I, seems to be. I should say I'm a through and through ski bomb as well. That's why I moved out to Jackson. <laughs> You know, after college, I was just going to come out here to be a ski bomb. I've been a ski bomb my whole life before I was ever into wine. <laughs> I like to say I'm a travel food and wine loving ski bomb metalhead. That's why we're out here in Jackson. That's the combination every metalhead aspires to, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Fire in the Mountains takes place in Shadow Mountains, which is near the Grand Tetons. Why sort of this region having a, a metal festival? Typically, we think of like flat, grassy land in the continental context, or we think of sort of indoor events. So this is really sort of unique and almost like rave-esque in a certain way. Why this particular uh, setting? Why was that sort of important to you guys? The initial place that Fire in the Mountains took place was Shadow Mountain. Now it's currently at Heart Six Ranch. So the history of that was the first two years we had Fire in the Mountains, it took place kind of in a very clandestine manner on Shadow Mountain, which is a national forest area. And it was more or less kind of a, a party in the woods with a, a stage that we would build the day of on site and then tear it down right after the music so the authorities didn't find out about it. It was illegal, essentially, um, because we couldn't really have an amplified concert legally in North National Forest Service uh, land. And it's grown since then to be at Heart Six Ranch. We just kind of grew out of our britches for the um, for to have it be at Shadow Mountain. I will say that those two years at Shadow Mountain were incredibly epic. They're <laughs> as good as they get, um, kind of also because of that clandestine manner. It's very metal to just be able to bring some bands in and 
build the stage and tear it down and hopefully the authorities don't come, which they did the second year too, right after the music ended. So, but we didn't get in trouble, but we basically, the, the, the idea of fire in the mountains initially started as a, as a way to, I like this because it's kind of like wine and pairing, but it's pairing music with landscapes and, you know, heavy music is a very epic type of uh, music and powerful music that really in my opinion, sounds better and the experience is deeper if you have that music being played in front of people in front of uh, mountains like the Tetons, um, which are you know some of the most iconic mountains in the world, in my opinion, uh, definitely one of the more powerful uh, places on the planet that I've been to. They're the, they're the most photographed mountains, apparently. It really just kind of makes sense, in my opinion, where you can provide this deep experience for people where they get to see their favorite bands play in front of these beautiful landscapes, these beautiful mountains uh, that have a, an inert power behind them, just like the music itself. So it really is a, a great pairing. And, you know, ultimately it provides, you know, as I say, I keep using the word experience, but it provides a deeper experience for someone to see bands like this, as opposed to where they might normally see these bands, which would either be in a music venue in a city or maybe not in a city, but at a music venue or at a other festival, a European festival or something where it's really just kind of in a cornfield, a cow field, a pasture of sorts. You know, it makes it so that music isn't the only aspect to the festival. It makes it so that nature is just as much of an aspect. And I think that's super important to uh, what Fire in the Mountains is. Well, it's the backbone of what it is, right? You know, just to piggyback off of what Jeremy said, to give you a little more storyline behind our festival, like a handful of us friends are all born around the beginning, mid of July. And so we would go camp at Shadow Mountain, which is in the Grovant Mountain Range. So on the east side of Jackson Hole Valley. So it stares right at the Tetons. And we would go up onto this mountain. Yeah, party our faces off, have a wonderful like two days of mountain biking and, you know, revelry. And then um, a lot of us moved away and then came back. And so one year we were looking to reinstitute the Shadow Mountain, uh, you know, early summer camp out. And Jeremy and I were talking on the phone. We're like, well, how do we make this more epic? What do we do this year? We're like, let's get a band. Let's get a fucking band to play. All right, who are we to get play? I was like, well, I just heard that band Wayfair. That album's awesome. Like they're from Denver. They're young. They'll probably come up and do it. Let's, you know, reach out. Okay, cool. And their lyrics so are about mountains too. Exactly. It's all about <laughs> nature. Yeah. So it was, it was an obvious choice. And now they're like brothers. We're, we're all super close. So it was highly illegal. It wasn't maybe illegal. Like it was definitely an illegal show the first two years. And uh, we're, we're fortunate and cunning enough to skirt any, any legal issues. But of course, like all good stewards, we make sure we leave no trace. And often, um, as the case is now with our festival, like we're, we're actually doing remediation on the land to make the land more resilient than it was prior to us being there. And that's really important as both stewards and people who love where we live. You know, we obviously want to contribute the best way we can. And so that's a huge element behind Fire in the Mountains as well. You know, the nature element uh, is huge. And, and along with just visually grounding yourself through that experience, you know, it, it's also about immersing yourself in that experience. And so our festival is really not even a festival. Yeah. Like Jeremy's used the word experience and I just did too. And that's true. And it's like, it is an experience and it's meant to be immersive, as immersive as it can be. And so when you come to Fire in the Mountains, you're not just coming to see good music. You know, you're coming to experience uh, a lifestyle of sorts where you're camping and 
you know, I'm growing 90% of the food for farm to festival barbecue both days. And we have a chef cooking it all and we're foraging for it. And then we have workshops from nine till the music starts nine in the morning till two or three or whatever it is. And uh, it runs the gambit of all different subjects that are being talked about, but really grounding necessary topics um, and skills that are both fun to learn and hear about, but also like really seated deep in our soul. You know, it's about reestablishing a connection to ourselves and the land with, well, ourselves, which often comes from reconnecting to the land, kind of reconnecting to our, our ancestral roots in so many ways. I mean, it's a very tribal experience. And very communal, of course. Everyone who's been to Fire in the Mountains just, they feel like they've entered a different level of connection to one another. And that, man, I mean, that almost, you know, brings me to tears when I talk about it every time because it's so powerful. You know, it's like, wow, we did that just through intention. We definitely hope that when people leave Fire in the Mountains, that that deeper connection to themselves and the land and to each other uh, is something that they take with them in their everyday lives, which is kind of one of our missions with the festival itself is to essentially hopefully slowly make the world a little better place because people can can leave and and take these lessons they learned this experience that they they had home with them and that's a big part of us and another you know another big part of us is we want to be an environmental organization we're working that way just as much as a festival a a music festival um with that said you know we you know alex touched on remediation we have uh, instituting a program this year where we basically get people to come to fire in the mountains who financially can't afford to come uh, in return for them to do work with us, work with the National Forest Service, work with some nonprofit organizations during the festival before the music starts to do uh, riparian ecosystem restoration work, essentially making the ecosystem that fire in the mountains is in better because of our presence, making it healthier. So that's one environmental initiative. Also, you know, Alex touched on workshops, the workshops we do uh, have a lot of environmental kind of education themes to it, which we hope people take back with them in their everyday lives as well. And then we try to be as carbon neutral as possible with doing carbon offsets. Mm-hmm. Obviously farm to festival food is a big part of it. You know, eating locally is um, very, very important in our world right now. And we also give back a portion of each ticket sold to local environmental initiatives. Uh, recently, we've been purchasing bear boxes to install in the dispersed campsites that are around the festival grounds and in, in the national forest there to help reduce uh, wildlife and human interactions, negative interactions, that is. We want to keep growing that aspect of the festival. We want to keep growing all aspects of the festival, keep getting you know, great bands and, and all that and getting attendance up. Uh, that's just, you know, part of the business of it. But the other side of the business is, is this environmental, this environmental aspect that we really, really want to grow. Yeah. The music and the, the festival itself are almost just the carrot that we're dangling to create all these other opportunities to, to influence the world in a bigger, better, you know, more, more substantial way. Cause we're all so focused on in the environmental world, this idea of reducing our footprint, right? You know, it's all about we're, we're bad and we need to, we're inherently bad and we need to stop, you know, destroying the earth because that's what we do. And it's like, no, that's bullshit, man. We're not that bad. You know, it's, it's society. It's a bigger, a bigger whole. And as pieces of that whole, by changing our lives, you know, like Michael Jackson fucking had it right, you know, start with the man in the mirror or the woman, and that's all you can do. And if you do that, then you can actually have a, then it's all about creating a massive impact, 
Like what kind of legendary impact can you leave behind the biggest footprint possible? Like leave that behind. And so I think that's a a way more positive way to look at our lives and our impact on this earth because it should be that way. Talk about not having, especially when we're going, you know, permitting for a festival, permitting for events like this, right? They want to be, people are like, well, how do you make reduce your impact? And we want to be like, no, we actually want to increase our impact. It just needs to be a positive impact. Regeneration is a, is a pretty up and coming word when it comes to agriculture in particular, you know, regenerative organic is like the new catchphrase. And uh, I hope it never gets co-opted. I'm sure it will because unfortunately every good idea does, but you know, that's the really, that's the true idea is to regenerate with your impact, whatever you're doing a business or, you know, uh, as a farmer, you know, building soil and et cetera, you know, it's, it's sequestering carbon, you know, there's, there are all kinds of ways we can regenerate the earth and our, uh, our livelihoods in positive ways. And so we need to keep setting standards and, and taking our impact to the next level. Cause at this point, that kind of defeatist, like inherently bad attitude is overblown and lame and I'm over it and we need to do better. I've spoken with a, a lot of people that have been to the event and being from Chicago and a lot of the people I know who have been there come from here. It's a, a very special experience to them because their experiences with that type of environment and particularly an environment so sort of extreme as the Tetons and everything that comes with it together with the music being like really, really unique. And so there is like a really incredible impact opportunity that you have for people. So tell me a little more about, and we can hold on the environment for a minute, regeneration in the context of the impact that occurs when you have bands coming from far away, because this year you have bands coming from abroad as well, Mm -hmm. and you have people coming from all over the country. So there's a certain level of, of impact that occurs in those journeys and people getting there. How is this sort of offset or looking at things as an offset and mathematical, not really, it's more about regeneration. How do like tie all this sort of together? Yeah. Well, we have um, an option when you purchase a ticket to offset your carbon footprint. That's one option in a perfect world. Well, Jeremy, I'll let you talk about this. The carbon footprint that the festival has is something I lose sleep over every day and think about all the time. And that's a, a really hard balance to do where you, you can either, it's a mind game where you can either say, well, maybe we want to really not have the carbon load going into the atmosphere, which is something I'm super concerned about in general with our society, then maybe we should just not have the festival. But to balance that out with doing what we can within our operations to reduce our carbon load by giving people the option to purchase, basically calculate their, their carbon footprint and then you know purchase carbon offsets with us when they're purchasing a ticket, which then we will use that money after the festival to either purchase carbon credits or do local, more of Alex's department actually, but local carbon sequestration through planting of trees and, and certain species that actually suck up the carbon in a, in a fast way and helping the, the uh, local ecosystem at the same time. And then we also uh, do similar carbon offsets for the bands that come. We do that calculation ourselves based on where they're coming from. Factor that into, that's all factored into the ticket price that people see when they purchase a ticket for Fire in the Mountains. That's the ticket prices that's visible to people. There's a lot behind that ticket. It's not just what it costs to put on the festival itself and get the bands there, but it's also what it costs for us to do to donate the bear boxes, to uh, do carbon offsets 
for the bands to get here as well. We balance that out in addition to that greater theme of the impact that we have on people when they come to the festival and how they how they change their lives because of it. And we hope that 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 experience that they have at Fire in the Mountains, they take home with them and maybe they have a bit more of a conscientious, a conscious uh, way of going about life to maybe reduce their carbon load because they had such a great experience in nature. Then they realized the importance of uh, protecting it. And we hope that that is um, something that gets realized by people. And so that's how we balance out the, you know, the impact we have versus maybe the greater long-term positive impact that the festival itself has. Don't, don't ever underestimate the power of inspiration, right? You know, I don't mean to say that in like a grandiose way, like we're high and mighty and, and we're able to inspire people. Well, it comes, it's both, right? The more, you know, you can get inspired by that. You're like, Oh wow, this isn't nearly as big of a deal as I thought I can grow a garden in my backyard. No big deal. Sweet. I'll throw some lettuce seeds down. I'll grow. Who knows what's going to happen when we when we do the riparian restoration? We're teaming up with uh, the Snake River Fund here in Jackson, and we're going to be doing riparian uh, restoration on the Buffalo Fork River, which shuts literally right up to the festival grounds. Like Jeremy mentioned earlier, we're going to have scholarships available for people who want to come and donate, well, volunteer their time for this remediation project, and in in return, you'll get a free ticket for the weekend. It's that scholarship idea. If man, if we could do everything we wanted to do and we had infinite amounts of money, like we could blow this thing out of the water in ways people haven't even considered for a festival yet. And we look to do that and we will, but baby steps, especially with a fucking pandemic happening. Like we have to be careful how much we bite off at this point, but things are going in the right direction. And, you know, integrity is really important thing for us, you know, it's really important to try to set new standards for music events and, and festivals and what people are incorporating into them. So many people talk a big game, but they're full of shit. They don't really back their their words with effort. I feel like we're the true hippies in a way. You know, we put our money where our mouth is, but we'll also kick you in the dick. Like we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and what's sacred and what's important to us. You're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from Jeremy Walker and Alex Fair from Fire in the Mountains shortly. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra I want to share. You can find tickets to Scorched Tundra Presents shows at scorchedtundra.com slash tickets. And be sure you're in Chicago on Labor Day weekend 2022 to experience the next Scorched Tundra Festival. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making this show and Scorched Tundra content the best it can be. Please also consider sharing this episode with the nerds in your life, rating us, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps others find us. Thanks for this moment, and back to our conversation with Jeremy Walker and Alex Fair. It is interesting to think about the possibility of inspiration in doing more than just what happens during that weekend to a certain extent and the actions that people can take home with them. And with some of the folks that I met that have been to the festival, I mean, there were gears turning in their head that I didn't know existed in their brains. So it's pretty impressive to uh, to have that kind of like uh, summer camp as a teenager impact on an adult. Yep. I think people are yep. like pretty cauterized in their beliefs and their ideas 
when they get older. So it's it's pretty impressive and it speaks volumes about the impact that the location can really have because I think that so many events for one reason or another are forced into the pasture or into indoor spaces and you either have to build the environment yourself entirely, which ends up becoming like fire breathing and Ferris wheels, or you <laughs> are stuck with whatever the four walls of the place is. And you know, the levers you pull with the ladder is really like the curation, right? But the space can really impact in so many sorts of ways as well. And so I guess I want to kind of guide this into a, a conversation about where the music and the environment tie together, because there's a level of intention that goes into the curation and the, the types of bands that you're looking for. And so I want to start with bands that as you grow a festival, I've done this before where there are certain bands that I kind of go to year over year because they may fit the event that I'm putting on or that they're homies or whatever the case may be. They're at a point where you're growing at the same rate as them. So it kind of makes sense. But mm -hmm. I've noticed that Wolves in the Throne Room in particular are a band that you guys have leaned on in the past uh, for appearances and Wayfarer was mentioned as well too. So tell me a little bit about some of these sort of like cornerstone bands and how they fit into this, uh, into this event. Just to touch on one thing that we were just talking about real briefly is the success of the festival has also been in, in making it a destination. It's in a tiny little corner in a very rural area of the country. Wyoming is people were like, you're crazy to start a metal festival in Wyoming. But people are coming because of the destination itself. And that's part of the environment. And then on top of that, the bands we, to, to piggyback on that with your question there, the bands that we are, we intentionally curate the show by bringing in bands that mostly sing about nature, which obviously Wolves and Throne and Wayfair are a good example of that. Um, and a lot of a lot of the other bands are as well. And so that ties in with that whole concept I mentioned about pairing music and landscapes. Um, so if you're going to have a music festival in, you know, the landscape such as the, you know, the Wyoming Tetons, the bands should probably be singing about <laughs> about nature as well. Um, it just goes hand in hand. Yeah, it is intentionally curated. Shane McCarthy, one of the guys in Wayfair, he does the bookings for us. He really, you know, with us, you know, Alex and I are, you know, included in the whole process and help him pick out bands and we kind of do it as a team. But he really uh, puts his head around, all right, how, what, what is the feeling we're trying to create at this year's iteration of Fire in the Mountains? And what are the, what are the bands that are going to get us there? And then we reach out to those bands and try and bring them in. And then this year was a really cool year where, where Ivar from Enslaved really reached out to us because we, we, we booked Enslaved. And then Ivar, you know, initially, and Ivar is like, I love what you guys are doing. I'd like to be kind of a part of the curation. And that's such an incredible um, compliment to us. And we're so excited to have him be a part of it. And so he became a part of the curation and where he wanted to bring in certain bands to help create that feeling we're trying to create at Fire in the Mountains. So it is yep. an intentionally curated show. It's not just a show where we, we're like, all right, bands, you know, submit your music to us. And if we like it, we'll, we'll let you play. Right. It is. It's we choose you and we hope that you're available to play. <laughs> Yeah, it's super important. And we don't want to be redundant either. So like if, you know, with no disrespect to, to Wolves, we love them, of course. Like we wouldn't have had them play this year if, if Ivar wasn't super keen on them being a part. That was his choice. 
You know, that wasn't on our radar. You know, it's something we want to keep fresh every year and we will. You know, it's funny because Shane is so brilliant with his vision and his knowledge of metal. I mean, that's what's so cool about metal, right? It's like you have subgenres of subgenres of subgenres and like just what feels like an infinite amount of infinite pool to pull from. And so you have someone like Shane who's in the industry and then two fanboys like Jeremy and I who just love metal. And he's like, no, no, guys, no, no, you don't want, we don't want to bring these guys in. Like, trust me, you know, here's a better option. And it's like, well, fuck, I never even heard of these guys. All right, cool. And now like, boom, they're one of my favorite bands. You know, I'm not going to put names to that, but that's kind of the often <laughs> the, top, the, the, the way the conversation goes between the three of us. I think you'll also notice that with, you know, the bands that we bring in, we also don't want to completely box ourselves in by having it just be a metal show. We want it to be a heavy music festival. We definitely try to balance the metal bands with uh, some bands that, you know, the average listener, the average person out there might not consider them a metal band. And it's, it's a great balance and it, it, it just adds to the feeling we're trying to create uh, with, you know, each year at Fire in the Mountains. Um, by having an acoustic show on night one and then on the other two plugged in nights by having um, some artists that are soft and really kind of deepen the experience rather than just having the hard hitting metal all the time. That's really important. We try and be a heavy music festival, not just a metal festival. Yeah. And heavy and heavy emotionally, you know, that it's not just about sound uh, so much. Heavy can be and it is very often emotional, you know, like watching Emma Ruth Rundle play a, you know, solo grand piano set in front of the Tetons. Like, are you kidding me? I'm probably going to cry like a little baby. I'm fine with that. Like, it's going to be great. We do bring in like these, uh, you know, Slim Sessions Auto Club, DB UK, Woven Hand, mm-hmm. these other bands that mm-hmm. are, have a more of a Western feel to it. Almost, you know, like a, almost a kind of a country feel to it. And Hey, we're on a dude ranch in Wyoming. It's very, very appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's cultural, you know, like that that's part of this land too. That's a huge part of the heritage of this land is that kind of music. You know, and then for instance, I mean everything is deliberately curated. Like um we have a chef we're flying in from Norway, Jonas uh, Lorenzen, who's also of Nabala music and used to be in Heilong, and he is our chef and deliberately curating uh, a Nordic-themed menu for the the barbecue both weekends. And more of that will be divulged over time. But like, he's also an incre- one of the more talented musicians I've ever met or heard. There might be some surprise musical elements being thrown around during the day and even around the fire at night uh, after the, the official music is done. So there's people like that who are so integral into what make Fire in the Mountains as unique as it is. That's what we're trying to create. Something you can't compare another festival to. We're kind of kind of like Roadburn in a way, kind of, I guess, but like not really. You know, Roadburn's inside. It's more, it's a solely music festival. Like, yeah, we have a curator, but that doesn't mean we're and we have multiple kinds of music. We definitely line up, but we definitely took uh Roadburn was an inspiration in the in the sense of it being a curated event. That artistic yeah. side of Roadburn was for sure an inspiration into what we do. I think for anyone who is trying to take a sort of open view of what heaviness is, there's no one that owns that idea because it's subjective, right? What what something mm-hmm. is to yeah. you, Jeremy, that is heavy could 
not be heavy for me because those specific themes may not resonate with me in a manner that I perceive as heavy. And the same goes, but Alex may experience those things in the same way. And so I think that when it comes to inspiration versus like influence, they're pretty different things in a lot of ways. There's influence in terms of I'm going to do the exact thing that that event does, or I'm going to take all these bands But then there's sort of things that are a little more notional. Having a curator isn't like fucking groundbreaking for the arts, right? Museums have curators. When you present it in a way, it has a certain grandeur. But there's also the inspiration, which is like, what's the general sort of impulse that these organizers have? And what is mine? And how am I sort of channeling that energy? And you can sort of take that a little bit differently than mimicking. And to me, this sort of your event kind of comes across more as a genuine attempt to kind of connect people to land and music and beverage and food are sort of vehicles that allow people to get to that place of, of connecting to the land. And that's fundamentally different from an event like Roadburn, which is primarily about connecting people to other people and to mm-hmm. the music first and foremost. There's different sorts of like levers that you pull depending on what it is that your goal is and where you are. Yeah. For Roadburn, music is the primary goal. For you, music is extremely important, but it also serves as another function too. It is interesting. When it comes to taking a broader view of heavy. Emma Ruth Rundle is clearly sort of someone that has done a lot with heavy music over her career and is a a really cool booking for 2022. What other sorts of artists are you guys excited for going into 2022? And who do you also point out as someone that helps you kind of expand that vision of heavy? I mean, Hex Vessel comes to mind. I know this isn't an accurate statement, but like to me, when I first heard them years ago at this point, you know, they kind of reminded me of like a six piece finish, like Simon and Garfunkel or something. You know, they're way heavier uh, at times, but they have that element, that very folksy nature based element to them. Like, wow, this is, I don't know any other music I can compare that to. That's really cool. So there, that's an obvious answer. Yeah. Steve on Tills, I mean, <laughs> You know, his, his acoustic music is, uh, to me, maybe not someone else, like you, like you mentioned, Alexi, is pretty darn heavy. <laughs> like emotionally, I hear, I hear his voice and I instantly start to weep, just, just instantly weep. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but <laughs> uh, I mean, it is, it is uh, to me, that'll be a really cool, really cool thing to see uh, him play for sure. I've I mean, always I'm, wanted to have a celloist play. So the fact that Helen Money is playing is like, oh my God, it's going to be so epic mm-hmm. to watch watch yeah. her play a cello in front of the Tetons. Like, my God, it's going to be glorious. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm which is also really heavy. Yob as well. You know, his music is pretty darn, their music is pretty darn heavy, but I'm excited. I think that they're going to be a great pairing in front of the Tetons. I think it'll be, it'll be great to see them. I'm I'm very excited about them. Do you feel as though this sort of idea of connecting people to nature through music is something you want to see and help promote in other places? 100%. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Of course. As much as I don't want other people to take our model, I hope people take our model because this is something we want to, we want to promote more connection to nature. And if people can Mm -hmm. connect to nature by going to festivals, 
And I think that's a great thing. As long as the festival promoters and owners are doing it in a genuine way and making sure that they really are reducing their impact on the landscape through their operations. Like I was saying earlier, a lot of a lot of people can be kind of fake with their values. And so I think it's really important to put your heart behind everything you do in this world um, as much as you can, at least. And, you know, ethics should not be tossed to the side. You got to be authentic or else or I mean, well, or else you'll fail. I mean, people see through that shit when they come out. They're like, oh, this is this is just like a rip off or it's like, oh, there's not much substance or backbone behind the event other than the music in a like pretty location. Like then it becomes just like any other festival with a nicer backdrop to the stage. What do you do? I wouldn't, I know it seems boring. I agree. I think people would see through that. I think the other sort of interesting thing that occurs at events like this and you sort of described are these spontaneous moments that are things that happen around a campfire that Mm -hmm. are driven by a sense of community that is clearly like pretty important to you guys. And so for someone like me who may not come or may not have been in the past, but maybe coming for the first time this year, what are some of the things that you think are the most exciting things for people to see as like first timers? Well, I was just thinking about this when you were speaking in the last few minutes and you, you kind of just touched on it, Alexi, like there, there's multiple things I can comment on about past fire in the mountains that make it so great, especially just last year alone. But my personal favorite I think man it's gonna be hard to choose but was after we had a unfortunately we had a cut OC and the Jupiter set a little short because of some weather and so they wound up wanting to finish their set and they did so acoustically around the campfire and we're like yeah that's a great idea boom as soon as the music's done you guys can go around the fire and play Boulder and Uh, I forgot the other song they played and it was glorious. And what that turned into was like an epic jam session where there was somebody spinning poi fire and other couple people dancing very tribally around the fire. And all of a sudden people started howling and, and, and hooting and like there became this chanting involved. I mean, it was so primal and getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. And And it was so organic. Yeah. It was the most natural thing. And then an engagement happened you know, like an hour after that, but like musicians were were like beating some drums, but it was the, the people, the attendees who just kind of picked it up and ran with it. And it's like, you give people the right opportunity for that side to come out. You give them the setting, the venue, and it will, it will naturally emerge. And it totally did. And that was like, that is the, like, that is exactly what we're trying to cultivate with our festival. That's what we're trying to bring people back to. And the fact that that happened so organically and naturally was like one of the many omens we got that weekend of like, okay, this is what we need to be doing this more. There needs to be more yeah. of this. This tribal and community yeah. where the community is so important, where a lot of the people playing the music around the campfire were the, the band members, right? And so it's right. not like the band members were separated from you know the regular ticket holder. They're all part of the same community. We're all equals. Exactly. And so I'm glad we're at this place because this is where I wanted to get is that these people aren't customers they are participants and they're active participants in some way. And that's a huge distinction between an event that's participatory versus an event that's passive on the part of the, of the ticket buyer. Right. So you're actually like encouraging engagement from the point of purchase into their experience. And also 
the backstage aspect of separating the artists from the bands is another thing. So what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is that you feel as though a sense of community is driven by the nature and by the fact that things are basically just open in a sense and that there isn't a division in necessarily in the class of a customer versus a band. We have a green room tent backstage for bands before they go on stage to set up or to hang out, like to just kind of chill out. That's what makes this festival so cool, right? Too, is like the fact both the artists and the attendees are merging with one another. Yeah, some artists choose not to do that, but most do. And it's very, very chill. You know, and it's almost, it's putting a lot of pressure on both parties, both sides. Like, hey, don't be annoying. And hey, don't be a dick. Like, say hi, hang out. Like, that's the point. Like, you're not some high and mighty rock star. And so, honestly, that's also part of what goes behind choosing certain artists to play. It's like, hey, who, who, who are real? Who are down to earth? Who get it? You know, that's what it is. It's like, who get it? You know, you use the analogy if you build it, they will come. Well, they are the artists as well as the attendees. Like we don't pick up any trash, literally like cigarette butts, a few. That was it. You know, after both 2018 and 2019 iterations, you know, like the right people are coming and that's important. And the same goes for the artists. They become a part of literally operations of our festival in that sense, the participants that we're going to call them, right? They, they help us, you know, after the festival, like Alex said, it's like, wow, we don't have to pick up much trash. Like they helped us operate this festival efficiently and, and, and cleanly. It's amazing. The artists and the musicians, they all, they stay on the ranch with all the participants. So that helps that community engagement where the artists come in, they're on the ranch for the entire weekend with everyone else. And so um, that helps encourage that engagement and create that community of people where it really is just a community and not us and them. I guess it's just us. <laughs> right. And and I mean, that was part of, I think, what adds to the allure of an artist playing Fire in the Mountains is like, it's kind of a vacation for them with the exception of like the hour set they play. Like they're hanging out and they're enjoying themselves. You know, they're going on horseback rides or going hiking, touring Yellowstone, whatever, you know, fishing. That's really important too. Like Jeremy mentioned earlier, it, it is a destination, but not just for the participants, not just the attendees. It's It's, you know, the artists too look at it that way. And that's really important to us. Like, you know, from a business perspective, that also also differentiates ourselves from other festivals. It's not so concrete, like you're playing a gig and that's what you're doing. It's like, no, no, relax. Like we're having fun and it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be a really enjoyable weekend, but yeah, go on stage, rip it up. And like, that's why we're paying you. But like, also like yeah we're also paying you to go on vacation you're welcome because of the location we want to have it be so that the participants you know the people who are buying tickets are going to be like finally i get to go to fire in the mountains because i've always wanted to go there right not i have always wanted to go that festival it's like i always wanted to go there now Mm -hmm. right it's that place it's that sense of place Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. hope that the musicians are also like Finally, we, you know, we're, we got invited to play fire in the mountains. We finally get to go there, (laughs) you know, to play. We finally get to be on that stage with the Tetons behind us as we play. We hope that will down the road, just grow to attract, you know, not only the best artists, but also the best, um, the best people, you know, the best crowd as well. We're on that trajectory. It's a beautiful thing. If you build it, they will come. They are the right people are coming often repeatedly. 
I think this is a pretty good spot to wrap up. I want to give you guys some final thoughts to share with the listeners. What should people be uh, looking forward to or what do you want the big takeaway to be for folks that are coming to the event? If you're listening and you're coming to Fire in the Mountains, I would um, encourage you to prepare yourself before you come to Fire in the Mountains so that you get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. Prepare yourself by getting in the right mindset to be there and to take advantage of everything that we offer. So take advantage of all the workshops that we're going to offer, all the, you know, the farm to festival barbecue, the food, the drink, the community, the, the tribal atmosphere, take advantage of going out into Yellowstone and Teton National Park and recreating, go mountain biking, go hiking, go camping, go fishing, go river rafting, do everything, do all that and connect with the place and uh, see some great music in the, in the process of it. That's my advice. And if you have any questions about what to do while you're here, just email us and we'll, we'll be your travel guide. Before you do that, look at the website. There's a lot of information on what to do on the website that we, we took our time to outline probably more, more than most people would. And that's because we love this home too. We want you all to enjoy it as much as we do. I mean, that, that really is so much about to bring it full circle. What caused us to start Fire in the Mountains was like, we wanted to bring people into our home and to enjoy the lifestyle we, we do. Jeremy and I are kind of different than most metalheads in, in the sense that like we're super I don't mean this in a demeaning way at all but like we're super athletic and outdoorsy and like we go camping a lot we go mountain biking we go fishing we go rock climbing we hike mountains you know like that's that's why we live here and so we want people to do that as well float down the river have a great time like check out the moose and the elk and you know like don't forget you're camping in the most densely populated habitat of grizzly bears in the country kind of a big fucking deal. Like, don't be a ding dong. Don't bring yeah. eight coolers. Understand that this is kind of like we set this up so you all can enjoy it the most that you can and bring as little as you, you, you need. But you do need a tent. You do need bear spray. You do need to have that mindset. You are going to be camping in the national forest or on a venue ground grounds that is surrounded by the most densely populated habitat of grizzly bears in the country, in the lower 48 at least. Like, that's kind of a big deal. So like... We're really privileged so far to be able to do it here and just continue to bring your best self when you come. And it's going to be a life-changing experience, hands down. Like, again, I'm not trying to be grandiose, grandiose and say that or put too much at stake, but we feel that confidently about it, that you'll never have had experience like this. And every time you come each year, the better it'll get. If you do your homework ahead of time and you do your preparation ahead of time, both with what you bring and, and just your mental perspective on everything, then it will be a life-changing experience. So just get the most out of it. Yeah. And keep an eye out because we're going to be announcing educators and speakers and workshops in the coming weeks yeah. and months uh, leading up to the event. And we've got as crazy of a time as this pandemic has been, it's also created some really great opportunities and new friendships that and partnerships that have allowed us to bring a pretty amazing group of people to offer educational experiences and skills, et cetera. So it's going to be pretty rad. What are you most excited about, Alexi? I am excited to be in the mountains because where I live, there are no mountains. And I haven't been to the mountains since I was in sixth grade. So oh, that's no pretty way. exciting. I am excited for hiking and for being in a place with a lot of fresh air and music and meeting new people. All that's very exciting. See you guys in Wyoming. Thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for oh, having yeah, us, man. Lexi. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's yeah. a great way to start the day. Pleasure. Yeah, take care.